Good morning, everyone. You know, I got to say that the worship service in the first service and the second service to me was the first time since we have been meeting after the shutdown for about six or seven months that it felt like a city on a hill worship yes. experience. And I am so encouraged by that. You were alive this morning. The numbers are increasing. Uh, even though we do have uh, every other row marked off, we had a great time in the first service, and I felt, I felt, I felt the same, same thing in the second Amen. service. Amen. I'm, I'm, so, I'm just tongue-tied, and, and you don't know how much I've missed that. Yeah. Uh, it is, there's just something about when God's people get together in numbers and worship Him. Uh, you know, you can worship Him alone, you can worship Him with two or three, but there's just something about when, when there's enough of us here to celebrate together. And today felt like the very first time since we've started meeting since the COVID shutdown Agreed. that I felt like this, this is City on a Hill. Yeah. Uh, this, is, this is what we all experienced every Sunday beforehand. And I'm just so excited. And uh, thank you for, for being here. Um, we are finishing um, this series on tough topics. And we decided that we would use this format right here uh, because these difficult topics that we've been dealing with, uh, that it would be maybe less threatening and, and a little more informal, and, uh, and we've been doing that. And I, I, quite frankly, I love this format. Uh, I've enjoyed this. Uh, I think that Derek has. We asked the, the first service. Uh, we had planned on just going back to the traditional format where we would take turns. I'd come up to the podium, and then Derek would take turns and come up. But we asked the first service what they thought about just continuing with this format for a period of time as we continue on. And uh, we wanted to kind of know about how many of you would like to just continue this kind of format of teaching uh, week after week? Okay. And, 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 and some of you obviously don't want that. And once again, you can't please all the people all the time. And so um, we'll keep doing this until you quit coming. And then we'll start back to the old format, and you'll come back, and then some of them that like this will leave. So I don't know what's going on here, but we'll just try to do our best. I, I love this because it is informal. We do get to say things yeah. that we hadn't planned to say. We bounce off of each other, and I just think that the information itself is more holistic than the traditional way that we've been doing it. Now, before we start here, though, we need to deal with the elephant in the room, and the elephant in the room is sitting next to me on his nose. Derek has a nose ring. Oh my gosh, I do. What happened? And, and, and I noticed that Jessica also got one, but hers is that little cute little on the side. And I thought, you know, if they kiss, his could get caught in hers. And this could be a problem. But then I realized they've been married for 10 years. They don't kiss anymore. We've been married almost 14, and I still kiss my wife very regularly. Oh, okay. Well, good. I'm glad very to hear regularly. that. Okay. Absolutely. So have you got something you would like to share? Uh... Well, I think uh, you're going to figure out this morning, based on our topic, maybe why uh, this nose ring is going to play a little more of a role than just a funny little thing. So I'll leave it at that. And, yeah, he we'll... saw an opportunity to get a nose ring and get away with it. Oh, what, what, what? oh you know what? My billfold keeps falling out. It's These... so heavy. That's why. <laughs> yeah, There's no, so much money in there. These funky, stretchy jeans that my wife wants me to wear to keep in style, they don't hold your billfold very well, and so all my money falls out and my... My title to my new jet that I just right. bought, and, and you know, so let Rough. me just put my billfold up here. Um, but as, as seriously, um, he wanted to get a nose ring, obviously, and he saw the topic of today as an opportunity to get it, and where none of you could say anything negative about it. Okay, so we'll 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 open the door well, on that you, one. Well, to be clear, you can. It'll just be wrong. <laughs> If you want to sin. <laughs> okay, take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 2 this morning because we are finishing up the series on tough topics. And folks, we have been dealing with some very tough topics, and we're going to finish that series up this morning. Not because we've covered all of them, but I think that we've covered enough of them, and maybe we can come back uh, a little bit later and, and deal with some of the others. So this morning, we're going to deal with a tough topic of prejudice and its sister subject, which is racism. Prejudice and racism are ugly, ugly, and hateful subjects. Yep. Now, we are not specifically going to deal with racism again this morning because we have dealt with that recently. But, and I'll explain another reason why we are not 
addressing that only this morning, and, and there's, some, there's some good reasons. But prejudice and racism, folks, we have to all agree, they've been with us since the very beginning of time when sin came into the human experience. So these topics are not new issues, and they're not new things that, that human beings are having to deal with and those who love Christ are having to deal with. There are plenty of examples of extreme examples of prejudice and racism in our, in our, our history, within our life, lifetimes. The Darfur genocide in Sudan was the first genocide of the 21st century. So we've, we've moved into a new century and we already have an example of a genocide that is rooted in prejudice and racism. It's the first one of the 21st century, but I'll guarantee you it will not be the last. The Rwandan genocide, Hitler's extermination of the Jews, prejudice, racism, the Armenian genocide, Charles Taylor's crimes in Liberia, and we could go on and on and on if you're a student of history, that racism and prejudice are not cultural issues. And the reason they are not cultural issues is because every culture since the Garden of Eden has expressed prejudice and racism in some form. So it's not just in America that this is an issue. This is an issue in every nation, in every state, and has been since the beginning of time. That's right. And the reason for that is because it is a sickness of the human heart. The, Jeremiah says the human heart is desperately wicked who can know it. There, no greater statement was ever made. Racism and prejudice comes right out of the sickness of the heart. And it's such a radical sickness that only radical therapy can ever hope to fix it, and that is heart surgery. What we need is a surgery of the heart. That's the only thing that can cure it. Passing laws will not stop prejudice and racism. We should pass laws against it, but it's not going to stop it. Having symposiums to talk about prejudice and racism won't stop it. Having rallies and protests will not stop it. All of those things are fine in their place. They all, we should pass laws. We should have symposiums. There are times when we should rally. We should protest. All of, but none of those things are going to stop this problem right. because... It is a problem of the sickness of the human heart. Now, it has become more difficult for us to even discuss this in our day and time and in America because the terms and the definitions of terms have been so radically changed. And I'm going to talk about that in a moment. So when, you are, when you're working with different meanings of terms then it's difficult to even have a discussion about that because if you have one definition of a term and the person you're talking with has another definition, then you wind up being like two ships that are passing in the night. And that has made it increasingly difficult in our day and time to even discuss the issue of prejudice and racism because we are operating by different definitions so often. Let me, let me explain what I mean by that. The very definition of what racism is has been confused in our culture by ivory tower academics. Ivory tower academics who get together and they create new definitions and then those get passed out among the people, at least partially. For instance, part of the of critical race theory. If you've heard of that term, maybe you say you haven't. I've studied a great deal because it is very impactful in our culture today and on the university campuses. Critical race theory says this, that someone cannot be racist unless they have the power to oppress. In other words, if you do not have the power to oppress a group, then you cannot be racist. So by that definition, no minority person can be racist because if they are in a minority, by very definition, they do not have the power to oppress the majority so that minority person cannot be racist. Do you, do you understand that? That is the definition that has come out of critical race theory about what racism is. So if you're operating on your 
definition of racism as best you understand it, and the person you're talking about is operating on a definition of critical race theory, you're going to pass each other because that person's thinking, well, I can't be racist because I'm a minority. I can't oppress the majority. And you're thinking, well, any human being can be racist, and there is no room for discussion there because your definitions are different. Now, it goes on, critical race theory goes on and makes this assumption or makes this actually statement that even makes it more difficult. And it says that if you are white in America, you are racist. You don't have a choice. If your skin is white, you are a racist. By just having white skin, what it means is that you perpetuate a white racist system. So by, a, by being a part of that system and being white, you by definition are a racist. Now on the other side of that, it says that no minority group, be it Asian, Hispanic, or African American, can be racist because they do not have the power of oppression. Are you with me here? This is very important that we understand that. Now, we are here to dis today to not to discuss critical race theory, okay? There are parts of it that I agree with. There are parts that I disagree with vehemently. It is based upon Marxist ideology, so obviously there are going to be problems with the Christian faith. But there are sure, some, some things that come out of it that I can agree with. So we're not even going to try to unpack that one today. We don't have the time. I simply mention it to, to illustrate to you how difficult it is for us to even have this discussion today yes. in our culture because of these varying definitions. So given that confusion, what we are going to do is not address racism specifically, but we are going to talk about prejudice, okay? Because that is something that the Scripture specifically addresses in a very important text. Prejudice... And this is one that critical race theorists also would agree with, this, this definition of prejudice. That's why we can, we can talk about it. Is Prejudice is an attitude toward an entire class of people that is damaging and denies people's individuality. Okay? Prejudice is an attitude toward an entire class of people, whatever that class is, whether it's, whatever it's based upon, that is damaging to them and denies their the person's individuality. So what we all agree on here is that everyone has prejudice. Can we agree on that? Everyone has prejudicial feelings and thoughts. We have negative feelings against groups of people. And if you look like that group, then immediately my prejudice imposes upon you uh, something that I feel about you. It, it's damaging to you. And it de denies your individuality because I don't see you as an individual. I see you as a part of a class, and I have certain feelings about that class. Are you, are you with me? We're going to talk about some of those expressions this morning in a little while. But for today, let me say that prejudice will see it as this big tent. Yep. And in that big tent, there are lots of different groups that live. And one of those groups that lives under the big tent of prejudice is racism. Racism is one expression of the overall thing of prejudice. So rather than trying to deal with individual things, we're going to deal with that overarching problem, which is a problem of prejudice. Because prejudice is the soil from which racism springs. Okay, it's what nurtures, it's what gives nutrients to this racism. It is out of the soil of prejudice, and racism is one extreme form of prejudice. Can, do we agree with that? Can we hang on to that? Okay, so this morning we want to look at a text that specifically addresses prejudice. Okay, it's James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And we dealt with this a couple of years ago, but it is the most clear uh, text in, in God's Word dealing with this issue of prejudice that we wanted to come back to it this morning and take another run at it, and, and I think it's going to be helpful for you to understand what the problem is with prejudice. First of all, we all agree there is a problem with prejudice. Is there, can we agree on that? I'm trying to get some agreement here, folks. Come on. Okay. There are a lot of things we can disagree on, but we got to have a basic terminology. Okay. So prejudice is a problem that we all deal with in verse 1 of chapter 2 of James's letter, James addresses these people to whom this is being written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And this is what he says, Brothers, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. Now notice, first of all, who he's writing to. He says he addresses them as brothers. 
So these are Christ followers. This is one Christian and the Holy Spirit speaking through him to other Christians. So at the outset, let me say this morning, folks, this is a word to us. That's right. Okay? This is not a word to the world out there. This is not delivered to them because the world doesn't care about what God's word says. What we're doing here as a family of faith is we are taking God's word and what God's word says to us about what we do in our relationships with one another here in the body of Christ. We've got to shut out the extreme voices of our culture. Right. Because they are always extreme, and if we allow those extreme voices to impact our thinking, then we will not be able to deal with the right here, where we live with one another, where we worship with one another in Christ Jesus. So, as we ignore that, we look at, well, what does God's Word say about how we are to react with one another in this area of prejudice, okay? So, he says, brothers, okay? Now... Do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus with an attitude of personal favoritism. That phrase, personal favoritism, is actually only one word in the Greek text. It takes two English words to translate it. But it can be translated with other singular words. Okay, Because the New Testament was written in Greek, we have to translate into English. So that which is personal favoritism in some translations is translated, do not hold it with respect of persons. Another way it is translated is do not hold it with partiality. Don't show partiality to people in this faith issue. Another word is prejudice. Do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of prejudice. And I think that word encapsulates for us today the full meaning of this Greek word. In the Greek text, that word is a compound word, which is pronounced prosopolentia. That's a big word, okay? Uh, we got big words in English, but Greek has some of them that are like 10 miles long. Because what Greeks had to tended to do is that it would put two or three words together sometimes to create a new word. And it would have a new meaning than any one of the words that were put together to create it. And so prosopolentia is a combination of two Greek words. The first one is prosopon, which is the Greek word in the New Testament for face. Prosopon, face. I like your prosopon. <laughs> I don't like your prosopon. What a pretty prosopon. Yeah, yeah, what a pretty prosopon. That was a prejudicial statement, was course, it not? it was. On both of our parts. I repent. I repent. Okay, so there's prosopon, the face, and then it is joined with a Greek verb, lambano, which means to receive. Okay? It can mean to take or to receive. So, prosolombano put together creates a new word that translated literally means to receive the face. Face, receive. Together, to receive the face. Now, that was a euphemism in Greek that people understood. We don't really understand that, so we have to translate it with words in English that kind of get at the meaning. But I believe that's a beautiful translation, actually. Yeah. Because it says, do not hold your faith... In our glorious Lord Jesus Christ by receiving the face. Don't receive the face. Don't look at someone, in other words, and prejudge based upon a prejudicial thought. See, because that, when you receive the face, by, that by definition is prejudice. And it can be in favor of Sometimes we have prejudice that are in favor of groups of people. And we have prejudice that are against certain groups of people, but prejudice in itself is a prejudged disposition that damages the other person and refuses to take into account their individuality. It puts them in this big group. And the scripture says, among Christians, brothers, that is contradictory to our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It runs not parallel, it runs perpendicular to our faith. It is against the faith in Christ when you receive the face. Mm. When you make distinctions, when you make judgments upon individuals receiving the face by any type of category. And obviously when we do that, it prejudges how we feel about someone. 
when we see someone who looks like that or acts like that or dresses like that, then obviously if we have a prejudice in there, it already helps us to decide how we're going to act toward that person, how we're going to feel toward that person. And we begin to treat them that way. So are you with me? Okay. Let me, let me ask a question real fast. Okay. I asked this in first service, and I'm, I'm just curious. Uh, raise your hand if you have had in your past a previous damaging or wounding church experience. With prejudice. Yeah, now, now with prejudice. Of any form. Let me, ask that, let me ask that question. If it was because someone looked at you based on how you speak, how you dress, uh, whatever the case may be, whatever. In, in other words, someone received your face. They, they looked saw on the outside you and, and already figured you out. Yeah. Okay. That's what I thought. Yeah. Quite a few of you. All, virtually all of us, at some level or another, have, have have had that experience. I've had it. Yeah. I've had it. Sure. You know? Some of you had that to his nose ring this morning. Absolutely. I mean, seriously, that's just that is. I mean, you all of a sudden thought, well, how can he be a spiritual man of God if he's wearing a nose ring? I mean, that that is a prejudice. Now. We'll talk about a difference here in a minute. You're going to throw that one at us, so I don't want to steal your thunder? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll okay, talk, yeah. okay. All right. Well, we'll talk about that. But seriously, I mean, these, are, these, these seem like small little things, but they're really not because what we are doing is that it, we, we, when we have that kind of preconceived notion, then we look at the person, we automatically judge them based upon that preconceived notion. You know, somebody, somebody jokingly last night said, you, you can't be a holy man anymore with a nose ring. And I said, I'm an extra holy man. Uh, yeah, he's got, t- got a hole in hole. See? I, yeah. I not only have holes in my underwear, now I have a hole in my nose. In my nose, exactly. Okay, exactly. Okay, so anyway, that's, that's another sermon. We'll Ooh. talk about that, holes in your underwear. You don't want to do that, all right? No. I really have a problem with that. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so let's, let's talk about then why we should not operate in prejudice. Why does he say don't hold your faith with prejudice? Because it is sin. That's why. Verse 9, he says it. But if you receive the faith, same word here, Translated now as show partiality. If you receive the face, you are committing sin. There it is. We have it. It is sin. That's why we are not to, as Christ's followers, practice prejudice. It is against the will of God. But the bigger question comes then, well, why is it sin? Now, Derek is going to answer that from the text in just a moment. But for now, let me say in general, it is a sin for us who follow Christ because the scripture says God does not receive the face. And if we are seeking to follow him and we are acting contrary to who he is, then we are living in disobedience. He does not receive the face. He does not show partiality. Romans chapter 2 verse 11. There is no partiality with God. Galatians 2 6. God shows no partiality. All these are the same word. Prosopolamsia. He doesn't receive the face. Ephesians 6, 9. And there is no receiving the face with him. Colossians 3, 25 talks about things that God has done for us. And he has done these without receiving the face. He has done them without prejudice, without partiality, without showing favoritism. And so in Christ, when we do so, we are in sin. Now let's think very quickly, and then I'm going to flip it over to Derek. Let's think very quickly about some different kinds of prejudice that there are. And because there are thousands of different ways. I mean, we, we're just so creative oh, yeah. with sin. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we are really good artists. at it. Okay? We're artists. And we're artists. We're yeah. artists. We've raised the, uh, the practice of sin to a level of artistry. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. How about appearance prejudice? Now, this is a general thing. But if someone is, say, tall or short, Do you have a preconceived idea about tall people or short people? What if they're heavy or they're thin? Uh, What if they are handsome or plain? This has been my personal struggle my entire life. Just too handsome. People have shown prejudice to me because I'm just such a pretty boy. Just a pretty face. You know, and and people... A pretty prosopone. A a pretty prosopone. (laughs) And and they have prosopolamsia. They receive my face and go, you know, he's so pretty, he can't have any intelligence. (laughs) Pastor Prosopone, that's what we're going to start calling you. So, you know, I've I've struggled with this. How about fashion? Okay, if someone is dressing fashionably. Not one you've struggled with. Not one I've struggled with. (laughs) Not not my struggle, okay? Um, I, I always adhere to Gilda Radner's philosophy of fashion. Gilda Radner said, I dress based upon what is itching or not itching that day. To have quick access to what's itching, okay? That's how she decided how she'd drive. I 
think that is a very reasonable, practical, it's wisdom, pragmatic <laughs> approach to fashion. Wisdom. If it itches, dress so you can get to it. All right. Don't let your minds go crazy. All right. Now, how about age prejudice? We All assume right. someone who is young doesn't have anything to add. I, I got to do this. I rarely have someone stand up, but I, I need Robert Mangano to stand up to show his shirt. What does he, it say? It says, old lives matter. Old lives matter. <laughs> and, and, I'm telling you. And as a person, as a person who is in the twilight years, right. okay, 66 years of age, I have begun to experience this in the last few years where there's a generation of young people who kind of look at me and they go, you know what, you are great for your generation, but you really don't know how to speak to my generation and, and you're kind of back in the, you know, in the, in the, seriously, I mean, who all of you of age have felt that? Okay, that is a form of prejudice. Just as some of us who are older look at maybe some of the younger people and say, you know, you haven't had enough experience to have anything to tell me. So there is a balance here, is there not? That both of them are showing favoritism. They are receiving the face. We have su success uh, prejudice. We gush over notoriety and, and fame and, and worldly success, and we look down on people who maybe are obscure and their name is not known or, or they're a nobody or whatever. You know, Economic prejudice. We treat the millionaire with more deference than we do the day laborer, do we not? Okay, I mean, if you're working for minimum wage uh, on a day labor job and, uh, and, and a millionaire is there, then immediately there is this tendency to prejudge something about those individuals because of those. That is prejudice in its basic form. And then, of course, there's education prejudice. Uh, if a person is edu educated or, or if they're not, you know, we assume certain things about those people. How about racial Prejudice. Okay, so this is one more form of extreme prejudice that lives under this tent. When you treat someone differently by the color of their skin because you have already prejudged them yep. based upon that class, which is, it is damaging to that person and it denies their individuality, that they may shatter the norm of what you have in your mind about people of that particular background and ethnic uh, uh, Identity. Do you, are you getting this, folks? This is about as practical as we can get. How many of you remember the song of my generation, Signs, Signs, Everywhere Sign, Do This, Don't Do That, Can't You Read the Sign? Okay, that's the chorus. The first verse starts this way. And the sign said, long-haired, freaky people need not apply. Hey, I was a long-haired, freaky people yeah. in my time. And there was a lot of prejudice against long-haired, freaky people, right? I mean, what that is really getting at is this biblical concept that, okay, if you're long-haired and you're kind of freaky, uh, don't bother because we ain't hiring you because I've already decided some things about you. That is prejudice. Now, let me ask you, do you believe that we should be fighting tooth and nail against gossip in our lives? Come on. That's not a trick question. What does the Scripture say gossip is? It's sin. So should we be fighting against that? Yes. Should we be fighting against the temptation of adultery in our marriages? Yes. Should we be fighting against lying and be, and be truth tellers? Yes. Should we fight against idolatry in our lives? Yes. Should we fight against prejudice in our lives? Yes. They're all called the same thing. Sin. So do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus. By receiving the face. Mm. Attitudes of personal prejudice. So Houston, we have a problem. We have a problem of prejudice. And the problem with prejudice is where the text goes on. And Derek is going to unpack that for us. Because there's some real problems with this. About what it means. What it says about us. Yeah. When we practice it. If you have your Bible to James 2. Read with me starting in verse 2. James says, For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, You sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, You stand over there or sit down by my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? 
with evil motives, he says. Now, That's the problem. It's interesting, the, the word here for assembly, it's the Greek word synagoge. It's the word from which we get our English word synagogue. So James is talking here about the church service, the worship service, the worship experience that we are in right now. It would be like if Jason Witten walked into our door in a nice suit and lots of gold rings, none of which are Super Bowl rings, and... <laughs> And came in. Shots fired. <laughs> Poor Jason. Poor Jason. He deserved he one. He deserved one. He I happened know. to just come just in the wrong guy. time. Unbelievable. <laughs> and he comes in, and behind him comes someone in dirty, ragged clothes. It would be like us saying, hey, Jason, hey, come over here and sit in the front row. And, and can we get you any coffee or can we get you some tea? We want or, people, the cameras to you, see you right. so people know yeah, Jason Witten's We're live church. streaming. And, and yeah. yeah, so sit right here so that the audience can see you. Uh, but this guy over here, get rid of him. Make him sit yeah. in the back. He uh, looks like he slept it, under a bridge last in, night. In fact, if we can just talk him maybe out in the foyer away. James is saying, you have evil motives. You have you evil motives for doing that. Evil wow, that's, motives. that's the problem of the heart. It's the problem of the heart. And I, I love this. You know, James mentioned a moment ago the, uh, the compound words of, of Greek, and, and that's exactly what we have here. We have uh, a compound word for gold, krusos, and the word finger, dactylos. It's put together, krusodactulios, and it is literally the gold-fingered one. Gold-fingered. So when gold-finger walks in... <laughs> gold-finger died yesterday. He did, yeah. He did. Really... <laughs> Way to just make a whole thing a bummer now, Dad. <laughs> a bummer. Golly. Yes. But this is what he's saying is, look, when someone comes in who is typified with success, worldly success, they have jewels, they have nice clothes, they're, they are successful in the business, they speak well, they have many degrees, whatever the case is, when you judge them based on their outward appearance, when you receive their face, you have evil motives in your heart. And, and it goes much deeper than this. What, why do we do that? Why do we show prejudice? Because we want to bring someone else down so we can bring ourselves up. Absolutely. That's the only reason for having prejudice, because we want to show superiority. That is evil. Yes. That's and, the evil motive. And, and the issue, you know, this is something that, that we're going to get out here with this next point, that we as people, since the beginning, since the fall, have sought ways to try and bring self-justification to ourselves, to give to ourselves what only God can give. And we do it in a variety of ways. I know James has talked at length about the, the years in the 90s when they did away with suits and ties and the kind of insults and, and just the, the frenzy that people were moved mm -hmm. into because like you said, you're, you're a professional. Yeah, well, I had, I had fellow pastors. By this time, I'd already earned my doctorate. And I had fellow pastors at James, you don't look professional. Right. If you don't wear a suit and tie in church. And I went, thank God. Yeah. Good. Where does the scripture say that pastors are professionals? I mean, where do we get this mindset? We got it right from the world. Yep. And so, well, you have to look professional. You have to, people will respect you if you dress this way, but they won't respect you if you wear a nose ring. And, and, and so, uh, you know, all of these all of these kinds of contradictory things. And, and, you know, the whole idea of, you've heard this, most of you are older, well, we should dress up when we come to church because we need to give God our best. Where in the world did that kind of garbage come from that somehow if I put on my best clothes is giving God my best? Actually, you know, the Bible does have it. There is a he passage. He doesn't receive my face. He doesn't look at my clothes. There is a passage that talks about bringing your best to God. It calls it filthy rags. Yeah. Bring the best you've got. That's what your best is. They're like filthy rags. It's, it's a, so here's the thing. This, this okay. whole issue of, of self-justification and all the things that come along with it, A, it reveals a misunderstanding of the gospel. It reveals a misunderstanding of the gospel. So in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul talks about this in the first three verses. He gives, the gospel is the Greek word euangelion. It means literally just good news. And I like to say to people that you, good news is only good when it's, when it's behind the backdrop of bad news, right? And so you have a, a good amount of bad news in the Bible, if we're just being honest. All right? There's a good amount of bad so news. So the good news then will be good when you hear it. Absolutely. If I say to you, hey, good news, we fixed your tire. That's only bad news if it was what? Flat broke. or broken or whatever. Right, exactly. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, this is the bad news. Paul says, and you were dead 
and the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's talking about Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, check this last line out, like the rest of mankind. Like the rest of man. So you were in your worst prior to Jesus, like everyone else. <laughs> you were like the rich millionaire, billionaire with lots of gold and lots of success, and all the educated people, and the poor people, and the homeless, and the uneducated, and the whatever. There's no difference. All in the same boat. The gospel levels the ground, it says it doesn't matter. God doesn't receive your face, whether it's pretty or ugly. Doesn't matter. If He did, He'd only serve, He'd only save the wealthy. He'd only Absolutely. save the pretty. He wouldn't save the beggar. He wouldn't save the Samaritan woman. He wouldn't say. But if He, but He doesn't receive the face. And, and if you want to be honest about it, if you just read through the Gospels, um, God is way more in the business, by the way, of receiving the ugly, poor people than He is the rich, wealthy people. The, the people that Jesus goes after the most in the Gospel are those who are, they have nothing. They're destitute. They're the ones that the world has rejected. And he says to the religious people who think they've got it figured out, who think that they can come to God because of the way they dress or the way they look or the way they speak, and he says, yes, but you have neglected the weightier things. You tithe all the good stuff, mint, cumin, dill, but you neglect the weightier things, mercy, compassion, justice. And then Jesus tells them why they do it. Because, because your, your heart is far from the Father. Absolutely. There it is. It's an issue of the heart. You act the way you do because your heart is diseased. Far from God when you hold prejudice against other people because of the way they look. But look, here's the good news. It goes right into verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. What made us alive? Our, our clothes, our, our clean look, our lack of tattoos or piercings, the way we speak? No. God. Right. But God. Christ alone. This is, why we, this is why I have the tattoo. Oh my gosh. In Christ alone. It's why James, this is, this is why we preach this message of justification, because it's not about us. The church, I've been here 37 years, folks. The, the church used to dread when I would go on vacation. Because <laughs> I came back from vacation with something weird. I went, Laura and I went on a cruise at the church, sent us on our 20th anniversary here at the church. I came back, my hair was real long at that time. I came back with my hair braided with little beads. Yep. Got it on the beach in the Bahamas. Yep. Oh, people were aghast, and I kept it for a month just to hack people off. Well, then about 10 years ago, you went to Hawaii. About 10 years ago, I went to Hawaii to do a renewal of the vows for Dr. Uh, Mike McCoskey and Pam, his wife, uh, their 40th anniversary, and I came back with a tattoo. Yep. And they used to tremble whenever <laughs> I would go on vacation. What's he going to do? What's he going to do? And now, following in his footsteps. Look how I've trained this one. My mentor. I My mean, mentor. He's, he's up the game, though, with a nose ring. I'm telling you, <laughs> he's really up the game. <laughs> he's trying to outdo me in every area. <laughs> Is it working? It's, well, yeah, it is. We'll see. <laughs> I didn't have a vacation, you're right. Yeah, he didn't even go on vacation. This was just a, a family Jeez. event. So here's the thing. When we do this, it, it reveals a misunderstanding of the gospel. It, it reveals that there is some belief in me that thinks that, yeah, God mostly saves me. But, 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 it, but I do need to do my part a little bit. I, I do need to, to speak well, and I do need to wear certain clothing, and I, and I do need to do, you know, I, I got to bring my part to the table. The Bible fundamentally rejects that. You have nothing to bring to the table. You are bankrupt. You are dead. Yeah. You have nothing. And how dare you, how dare we try and take the place of God by justifying ourselves? We can't. It's offensive to God. It reveals a misunderstanding of the gospel. So let me give you uh, a couple ways this happens. Number one, we forget about the grace that God has given us. So when I judge someone based on, on what they look like, based on some outer appearance, I am in that moment forgetting the crappy person I was prior to Jesus. I forget. I, we, I've heard James say what's this before. The, what's, the, what's the text? What translation was that? Yeah, it was my own. It was my own, yeah. It was okay. my own translation. That was Derek's translation. <laughs> okay. 
the, the reality is, I heard James say this a long time ago, and I've held on to this, um, that I, I never want to forget who I was before Christ. That's right. Never want to forget that. Never want to forget what I was like. Never want to forget my thoughts and my skepticism and my problems that I had with, with a variety of different things. Because the moment I forget that, the moment I lose the ability to relate to someone who's not there yet. That's right. And, and you know, we, we say this a lot. We'll continue to say this a lot. We take what we do here very seriously. I take the Word of God as seriously as anything else in this world. I just don't take myself too seriously. Amen. Because, I, because the Bible doesn't take me too seriously, because I'm not the chief hero of the Bible, and neither are you. Christ is. Amen. So we, we, we forget the grace of God for us. We ignore the grace that God has given others when we do this as well. I, I reject that God could save you. And so give me, let me give you a truth. The gospel declares prejudice as incompatible with the Christian experience. That's right. It's just as simple as that. It's incompatible. It doesn't work. You cannot hold to a faith, an orthodox faith in Jesus Christ and have prejudice. Now, you will have prejudice, but you will have to condemn that prejudice by what? Taking up your cross daily and crucifying yourself. And let me give you a, let me give you a little tool. Anytime someone uses Scripture to justify putting some other group of people down, it's a lie. It's a lie. They're twisting the scripture. Yes. In, in before the Civil War, yeah. Southern uh, Christians used the scripture to justify slavery, which is ludicrous if you understand. They had to twist it and make it do that, but that's one of the ways they justify it. That is a lie. So anytime someone uses the Bible to justify a demeaning action toward another person, it's a lie. Yep. It's a lie. Just mark it off. It's a lie because that is not a part of our faith. It is not consistent with our faith. So, okay, it, is, it reveals a misunderstanding of the gospel, but let me go here too. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of wrap it up with this. Secondly, it rejects the image of God in other people. The, the imago Dei is what we call it in, in seminary. Uh, the image of God. Man is created fundamentally different than any other part of creation. When you read Genesis 1 and 2, it gives the creation account. God creates, he, he creates light. He creates the expanse and forms the earth into its shape. He stops the water from the land and creates the sea and land. There's the stars, the sun and moon, vegetation, beasts of the field, birds of the sky, fish of the sea. And then after all of that is done, he does something that is fundamentally different than everything else he's created. He creates man and woman, it says, in his own image. Male and female, he created them. So we are made unlike any other part of creation that exists. Why? Because we bear the image of God. It doesn't mean that every person is saved. It doesn't mean that every person will become a Christian. It means that fundamentally, as creative, created beings, we are different because we bear God's image. And we won't talk about what that means, really, because there's a lot of that way more take a than... few years. Yeah, but, but <laughs> just understand, you are different. And, and this is not something we even have to argue about, right? Like, I have a seven, six, and four-year-old daughters. I do not need to explain to them why they are different than a dog. They just, they just know that. They understand that, like, yeah, Toby or Freddie, they're my pet. They're not a person, right? I'm not a horse. I'm not a bird or whatever. There's something more sacred and valuable about human life. Genesis chapter 9 verse 6, right after Noah gets off the ark, God tells him in this really weird twist of events, Noah has been uh, vegan along with the rest of creation up to this point, and in, in nine, chapter 9, uh, meat goes onto the menu. <laughs> Steak becomes God, biblical, praise God. God. I love it. And what he says is, yeah, you can eat any other animal along with the, the leaves of the tree, but, he says, you shall not shed the blood of man. Why? Genesis 9, 6. Because whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. This is where capital punishment comes from, by the way. People ask, how can Christians be for capital punishment? Because it's, it's outlined in the Bible. God values human life so much in the Old Testament that when someone takes human life, their life is to be taken so that they don't become a threat to someone it's else. It's also the basis of the Sixth Commandment. Yes. Which is against murder. Not yes. just against killing. Not killing. It is against murder, murder. which is taking an innocent life. Yes. Okay. So it's based upon Genesis 9 6 and that whole image of God thing. It is, it is, it is, in fact, 
in the Old Testament, you forfeited your life Absolutely. for doing so. In, in Levitical law, if I had an oxen and my oxen um, gored someone else to death, I was by law demanded to put that animal to death. If I chose not to do that and the animal gored another person to death, then we put both the animal and I also am put to death because I'm liable now for the death of another human life. God judges and condemns uh, sin in a variety of ways in the Old Testament, but He is extremely particular about killing people. The hierarchy Why? of value because of God is life. We're created in His image. In His image. We're made in His image. So let me give you a truth, because I think sometimes we fall into this mistake in the church of saying that, like, well, we as Christians... We are the ones who uh, can rightly recognize that, that racism or prejudice or whatever is wrong, and that is true, and this letter in James is written to us. But I want to submit to you that it does not take faith to know that this is wrong because of the Imago Dei. So here's, here, let me reframe this truth for you. The gospel declares prejudice as incompatible with the Christian experience, but the image of God declares prejudice as incompatible with the human experience. Right. In other words, it doesn't matter what faith or creed you belong to. You know the difference. The image of God is born in all of us. We know the difference. None are with excuse. Prejudice is wrong. It's a sin. It's an affront to God himself. Now, let me just say this. This is how we closed last uh, service. How, what do we do now? How do we, you know, one of the things that James and I and, and pastors in general, I think, really kind of don't look forward to is doing sermons like this one because it feels a little bit like a, um, like a pep rally around a topic where people amen and clap their hands and we get all excited and pumped up about the fact that we can agree at least publicly that pre prejudice is wrong. Say, so that's bad. Stop it. Yeah. <laughs> and then we're like, yeah, and then we'll just move on to the next thing. And we don't ever really talk about it. And so what do we do? Here's what you do. You don't, you don't make big, lofty Facebook posts. You don't do major, you address it where you find it. You say lovingly and gently in your own context, in your own circles, when you hear another person make a statement that is indicative of the fact that they are receiving someone's face, you say, hey, that's not, that's not really a Christ-like way of, of thinking about that person. Are, are, aren't we all just like that person in the sight of God? Right. Are we no different than that person in the sight of God? That's just a gentle reminder yeah. to one another. It's not condemning. Without judging, without condemning, without shaming. It's just a, a gentle reminder, but isn't that inconsistent with our faith in Christ? That yeah. We were worse than that when he found us. And, and it, look, if we could agree to do this, if we could practice this, if half of us could practice this. And we're talking about within the body of Jesus here. Yes. And then you carry it into your family and everything. Yes. We can't affect what's happened in Philadelphia or Seattle. We don't have any in, input to that, but we do have input here. Yes. And this is where God holds us accountable. This will change and transform the community. It really will. Amen. It will absolutely change and transform. I hope this has been helpful. Has it been helpful? I, I wish we could say it's been fun. It hasn't been fun, although teaching God's Word is fun. Yeah. We wouldn't be doing this if, if we did not enjoy it. And let me say one thing, because a question came up, actually, in between services from someone, and I think yeah, this is helpful. Good word. Um, that that what, what do you do when you have a preference for something, and how, how does that, uh, like, for example, the, the, a good friend of mine said that, uh, you know, like, my preference is I don't like facial piercings. It's just not something, I'm not judging you by it. I, I love you, and, and, like, nothing changes at all. It's just my, if it were my preference, I wouldn't have one. I, I, I don't think they are. Is that okay? It's absolutely okay. That's not prejudice. That's Unless not prejudice. Unless it affects how you react to him, how right. you respond to him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and, that goes, and it goes again with, with everything. If someone has a southern drawl or some kind of dialect or, or they wear their hair funny or they have a tattoo, it, can you have a different preference than that? Absolutely. God makes us unique and individual. Do you use that as a basis of condemning or looking down upon? That's a different issue. There's the issue. And it was really funny. I closed the service in prayer, and I'm going to do that here in a moment. And, and I had not thought about this. It was funny. Everybody laughed. Yep. But as I, was, as I was praying, I said, thank you, Lord, for City on a Hill that is a place where uh, one of the pastors can get a, a nose piercing and it's not a problem. And I said, Lord, not that I would ever want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> 
And that was an expression of preference. Well, and, and you know, dear Jesus, <coughs> deliver me from ever doing that. It, but it's okay if he does. It, 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 it struck me. I said this to first service as well last <laughs> night at Trunk or Treat, which, by the way, if you were at Trunk or Treat last night, thank you. Uh, yeah. It was so much fun. <laughs> but I was out there walking around, and, and there were several people that, that were interacting with me, and I can't believe that's real, and oh my gosh, that's so cool. And, and, but there were a few people that said, well, and they all said this, not what is your family going to think, or, or what are your neighbors going to think, or what are your, they said, what is the church going to think? And I thought, Man, how sad is that, that the, the immediate thing that we go to as Christians yeah. is, what are other Christians going to think about this? It's interesting. They, none of them suggested, what's James going to think? I know. Yeah, they knew. They already knew. <laughs> <laughs> Which exactly. is a compliment. It is. It is. Uh, I, I appreciate that. It is. It, but isn't that interesting? Well, you're a pastor, though. Jeez, uh, what are they going to think? Well, if they think something negative, they need to get on their face before God. Amen. I mean, he's not killing anybody with this. Nope. Uh, sure and, not. I mean, seriously, it's just our preferences, and that's okay. We all have our preferences. Just don't let your preferences become prejudice. So when they do, you, you've you've crossed a line. I can always tell my kinds of people because when we preach these messages, I can see them going, "Yeah, <laughs> yes." Yeah, and the and the others are like this. Yeah, I don't know about this. I'm going to withhold judgment yeah, on this yeah. sermon for a while. It's good. That's okay. We all do. We struggle. We're all in the same struggle, right? Yep. And as long as we can admit that, then then we can go, okay. I, here's an area I need to grow in, and we Amen. all need to grow in this because we all carry prejudice. Amen. So it's just a matter of daily examining our hearts, and as we said, you know, that's why Jesus said that. It's a daily process of, of crucifying the flesh. Yep. Daily, I have to take up my cross and crucify that old sin nature that wants me to condemn and wants me to hold uh, people to a standard that even I am not willing to live by. And, and so daily, we crucify our flesh, and we recognize that days we fail. Yep. And when we do, we take that to the Father, and we learn from it and move forward, and we grow from it. And Amen. it's so wonderful to be a part of a church that, where you can actually say that. And, and I really do think it is, is cool. Uh, that at age of 35, he can, he can already be in midlife crisis. I mean, I've arrived. Usually, usually it's a car or a girlfriend or something, but, you know, it's a nose ring. So if that's all he does, I'm gee, winning. you're, way, you're I'm ahead winning. of the game, man. You're way ahead of the game. Let's pray together, and then we'll go. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word that is so clear and concise that it pierces right to the heart. And the it nose. is revealed to us... <laughs> And that was a Freudian slip. <laughs> Lord, you know my heart. Thank you for these people. Thank you for this place. Restore us once again, Lord, in spite of this virus. Protect those of our flock that are particularly at risk for this. We love them. We look forward to seeing them. But in the meantime, Lord, we respect their decision. Thank you for that kind of heart that we can have for yeah. one another. Amen. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless y'all. Thank y'all.